It is the 200 level. Who's next? Yes, one of the greatest rock albums of all time. We did not intro this show with Baba O'Reilly, but who is next? Josh, who are you going to get? This is a conversation that a week ago I did not know if we'd be having, especially this week. And Josh jumped the gun after the final, I guess, quote-unquote, regular season game against Northwestern, leaving this game on Saturday for Penn State, which, by the way, Illinois 15-point underdogs, rendering that relatively moot, meaningless. It doesn't mean a darn thing, and that's okay with me. I'm happy to watch a game on Saturday knowing there's really nothing at stake there. And that this week is less about the game against Penn State and far more about the future of this program. And let's compare this to 2011. I remember that coaching search very well. This was early on in my days over at 93.5 when I was just going out there Tuesdays and Fridays to intern on TNJ. And whenever I get in there, of course, I'd ask Jeremy, hey, you know anything? You know anything? I'd be texting him throughout the week. And on the message boards and everything else, Kevin Sumlin, that was the hot name. Larry Fedora, that was the backup plan. Tim Beckman, not even considered until he had to be considered for obvious reasons. But this is a far cry from 2011 in a lot of ways. For one, we presume that this is not going to get dragged out. I think that's a safe assumption, knowing the track record of Josh Whitman. He identifies a target, and he goes, and he either gets it done, or he moves on quickly if there's no mutual interest. So that is one good thing. But the best thing of all is that the basement of hires that you have here, of these coaching candidates that are rumored, and I think rightfully so for this job, Brett Bielema, Lance Leipold, Todd Munkin, or excuse me, Jeff Munkin, I've done that before. It is Jeff Munkin, head coach at Army. That is not a bad crop of guys. Not a bad crop of guys that you can go with. All of them proven commodities at the college football level. And that is a huge difference between the Lovey Smith hiring, which I get it, and I don't think any of us really begrudge Josh for making that move. But at least in this case, you're entering this coaching search knowing that even the worst case scenario in that group of three, or if you throw in a Dave Clawson, from Wake Forest. Worst case scenario, you are getting a functional head football coach that knows how to run a college football program. At that point, if it doesn't work, then you can probably chalk that up to the fact that this Illinois football program is in such a deep hole, historically and currently, that maybe we'll never get out. And I know that is something that Lon and I broached on the show before. We talked about how if the lovey thing didn't work, then that would be a sign. That would be a sign that maybe you were never meant to be. That we're finding out that after you fire Levy Smith and these stories begin to emerge, a couple of them on Lon and Derek's show this week with Jay Lehman and with uh, John Holosek, you're starting to find out that these little whispers behind the scenes about how dysfunctional things were, they're true in a lot of cases, and that this was an abject failure on so many levels. So when I say you can't do worse, and I did say that after Ron Zook and I was proven incorrect, when I say you can't do worse, I actually think that may be the case here after the Lovey Smith era. Maybe, in fact, you can't do worse. So, hey, if you want to start with that, I, I view that somewhat optimistically. I think, okay, you will get better. And whether that means eight or nine wins a year or whether that just means getting back to respectability. Look at Purdue, for example. And I know it has not been smooth sailing for um, Jeff Brom over there. But there's been enough of a breath of fresh air that he's injected into that program where they don't just outright stink. And yeah, they got their issues. They're still Purdue football. I think in three, four years, Illinois will still be, in many ways, Illinois football. They'll make us pull our hair out. They'll lose games that they shouldn't. And they maybe won't be nearly as good as we think they should. But you know what? The next baby step is this. Getting to respectability. Lining up on Saturdays and knowing you won't embarrass yourselves. I think any of these coaching candidates will do just that, at a minimum. And then the question is, who can maximize what you have here and maybe turn you into a halfway decent program consistently? And isn't that the word? To not have the big year and then follow it up with a four and eight or five and seven campaign. To not do the Sugar Bowl and then five and seven. Rose Bowl and then five and seven. That has been the MO of this program. And because of it, no coach has been able to sustain it. I thought Ron Zook was the best chance you had. And still do. I think that that was the one. I got to give Ron Gunther credit. That was a good hire at the time, and it didn't work out. And that is more on Ron Zook than it is Ron Gunther. But that is tiring as a fan to think that when you do have that success, it'll be fleeting. Who is the guy that can first get you to that level of success, but more importantly, keep it? So today we'll talk about that. I don't have any inside information. 
I'm not plugged in all that much. I don't know, though, even for those that are plugged in, how much information they have. And that probably is a testament to how Josh Whitman will conduct this search. And for the things about Josh Whitman that make me go, okay, Josh, sure, I guess. The things that might be uneasy about. One thing I'm not uneasy about is the fact that he's going to do this relatively stealth and relatively quickly. And that's good news for us all. For our sanity, especially. Before we get going on this episode, the 200 level, a reminder that we are brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. Use coupon code Mike for $5 Cal Zones and $6 Premium and Construction Zones. Best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so you can stay warm. It's been really cold out. Stay warm, and they will bring you a piping hot calzone to your door. That is dpdoe.com, coupon code Mike, for $5 calzones at dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4thandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off your order. You may want to hurry if you want anything to arrive by Christmas. I think you might still have a day or two, but hurry. You get two t-shirts and you get one free. That is a deal they have all year long. Use coupon code 200LEVEL to get 10% off as well. And this is great stuff. Just in time for Illini basketball season and also Illini football. We're going to be feeling pretty good after a new coaching hire, right? I got my Illini football t-shirt along with a few other things from 4th and Kirby. All of them great. All of them fit great. High quality apparel from 4thandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com helped Karen and I out as we moved into the new house with homeowners and auto insurance and made the process super easy. You know that you get State Farm prices, some of the best around, but on top of that, you get personalized service from Brian and his staff. That is brianismyguy.com. Alani Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. A few bits of house cleaning, Thank you for all the ratings and reviews, especially on Apple Podcast. I don't know if the other podcast apps have that same sort of function, but it certainly helps us out. When you rate or review us on Apple Podcast, we climb up the charts. And then when someone searches Illini, then they will find the 200 level. So thank you. I got a really nice review from Big Doofus. And I don't think you're a doofus. But regardless, Big Doofus, thank you so much. And it said, I don't read Lauren Tate or the News Gazette. I don't read Osmussen. I don't read Tupper. I live in the Northeast, and Mike Carpenter is basically my equivalent of a University of Illinois sports columnist. Big doofus, that might be the most meaningful thing I've gotten. And here's why. Because I remember distinctly driving to Illinois basketball games back in the day, and it would be Tate and Turpin on 1400. Even back then, there was a statesman-like quality about Lauren Tate because he'd already been around for 40 years. And I don't say that like hyperbole. He's been around forever. And he's a legend. Uh, and to even be in the same conversation as him, even if it's just a review on Apple Podcasts, that means a lot for someone that grew up listening to that. Quick thing about Lauren Tate, too. <laughs> there was an article that he wrote about Lovey and reasons that you might have kept him and reasons why he ultimately might have been fired. One of the reasons he put, it was reason four, and I think the last graph of his column, and this is where an editor has to step in and say, Lauren, you sure? You sure about this? is it said that one reason that he might have been fired is because he alienated donors when he said that he voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. For those that need context, he was asked that question in one press conference. It was asked and it was answered. And that was it. He didn't belabor the point. He just said, yeah, I voted for that person, which I know some people find that to be, I don't know, offensive that you would say who you voted for. Give me a break. In, in 2020, it's okay to say who you voted for. Just say it. And I know some people would reply, well, Carp, if I said I voted for Trump, I'd get criticized for it. Well, yeah, I'd criticize you for voting for Trump, but I wouldn't criticize your ability to come out and say it, and I wouldn't shun you, and I wouldn't block you on Twitter. Just like I don't think the donors would look at Lovey saying that and think, you know what, that's the final straw. Yeah, we suck on the field, but you know what really did it for me? When he said he voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Give me a break. So when I read that, I thought, Lauren... I, I criticized it on Twitter. Just that part, not Lauren the person. I criticized a paragraph in one of his hundreds of thousands of things that he's probably written in his career. And someone came and said, well, you, you aren't half the sports writer Lauren Tate is. I'm like, no kidding. I know this. I'm not criticizing Lauren. And then the person, I think, tagged Lauren, and I don't even know how much Lauren's on Twitter. And I thought, I think Lauren can handle it. Like, Lauren would probably happily be like, oh, yeah, well, I included it because of this. And if I were to be on a conversational basis with him, I don't think it's a problem. Again, I was not criticizing Lauren. I just thought that that paragraph was misplaced. That's all. That was an aside. But, you know, it's funny how these days where people are so alarmed by criticism 
And I mean, I felt it too back in the day on 93.5 during you know, the text line, we'd get things in and it could be raw. Like there would be a few things that would come in and would genuinely bother me. And then eventually you either, I don't know, develop a thicker skin or you get kind of callous to it, or you realize that that just kind of comes with the territory. So when people just flip out about that, lighten up. I didn't criticize Lauren. He's a legend. What I would give to be at that status and, and experience all the things that he has as an Illini sports writer over the last six decades, guy's a legend. I just criticized one paragraph in one of his infinite number of stories. Not a big deal. Uh, but it does bring me to this point about Lovey Smith. And you're thinking, wait, Carp, I thought we were done with that. I thought we were done with Lovey Smith. Well, we are, fortunately. But this week, a few things came out on Lon and Derek's show as they had an interview with Jay, I think on Monday, and they had an interview with John Holosek yesterday. Trevor put both of those clips up on Twitter and they made the rounds to briefly paraphrase what each of them said. Jay Lehman let Lovey know of his interest of being linebackers coach. I think this is after, what, the third Lovey season, after Hardy had been let go and they had some defensive staff openings. He let Lovey know, and Lovey said, oh, okay, um, well, I got somebody, but um, thanks anyway. And then Jay talked about how when he found out it was Miles Smith. Now, we all knew it was nepotism, and I know that some of us were careful to not say it. I said it pretty definitively on 93.5, back when it was Lon and I, it was Tay and Carp when this all happened, that it was nepotism, just like when Bill Cubitt hired Ryan Cubitt. We can call it what it is. He was not qualified for the job. Now, the counter to that could be, well, it's just a linebacking coach position. Not a huge deal. It's not like Miles Smith was calling the plays, not like he was a coordinator. What is the big to-do about this? But it was symptomatic of the last couple years of Lovey Smith. He hires his son instead of actually doing a legitimate search for a linebacker's coach. And then you find out he could have had a guy like Jay Lehman, which, yeah, he had about as much or maybe even less coaching experience technically than Miles Smith. But at college football, relationships matter. Legacy matters. Jay Lehman, I think, would probably excel in a role like that. And he was offering himself up to do so. And instead, we get Miles Smith, who will not coach, by the way, on Saturday, which I understand because that is his dad that just got fired. But as Brightweiser had texted me, it's kind of your professional duty. Like we're finding out as he skips town at the same time that his dad does, that this is really just, they aren't even hiding it anymore, right? That Miles was a package deal with his dad. If he was truly charting his own path as a coach, and I know there's some awkwardness there, I'm not saying it wouldn't be awkward if he took the field on Saturday after his dad had gotten fired. But you know what? Isn't that your professional obligation to do so? Everyone else on that staff stuck around except for the son. Yes, nepotism. Call it what it is. But this, okay, so let's go to last week. We had the virtual coaches clinic. Lovey wasn't there. Now, in hindsight, that might have been because he knew that he was gone. Maybe he knew, right? Maybe he didn't. <laughs> That's the other part is maybe he didn't know and he, he still didn't show up while Tom Allen and Mike Loxley and then a bunch of former Illini coaches went to this virtual coaches clinic too. Lovey did not. But regardless, we had that. We had Jay Lehman talk about the linebacking coach position that he didn't get and Miles Smith got instead. And then we have John Holosek yesterday. This would have been Wednesday on uh, Tay and uh, Lon and Derek's show talking about how Lovey, or, or for that matter, no one on the staff had been to visit his high school in the last two, two and a half years. Not so much as visit. Now, to give you some context, and the name of Holosek's school escapes me. Is it something Notre Dame? I mean, regardless, he's built a powerhouse up there. It's one of those really big schools up in the Chicagoland area. And some of their guys go to Notre Dame. Some of their guys go to Wisconsin. And I understand if the approach is, well, listen, those guys aren't probably going to come here anyways. It is just a simple trip or a simple, you know, reaching out and building even lines of communication in the off chance that one of their studs would want to come to Illinois. After all, their coach did. I think he might put in a good word for you. But instead, you see that they didn't even make the effort for that. For a program whose head coach was a linebacking legend at Illinois. So it's just, it's everything I expected. It's everything that I feared as we were living through the Lovey Smith era. And as time goes on, now the stories are coming out. Now, for John Holosek, he wouldn't have really had a reason to share that publicly before Lovey Smith got fired. I understand that. Jay Lehman, same thing, because he has to call the games that Lovey Smith is coaching. So if he calls that out, the linebacking coach snub, 
then all of a sudden there's a conflict of interest as he's a color commentator for some of these football games. So I, I get that. Those stories are going to come out. And you were starting to see the general mainstream media, which I hate saying that because that sounds like such a you know Fox News talking point or something. But you're starting to see that even the most you know non-controversial of area columnists and writers, they're kind of dipping their toes in the, yeah, Lovey was pretty bad. They're dipping their toes in that. Now, we don't need to beat the dead horse. And you might be thinking, well, Carp, you just did that for the last five minutes. But while we don't need to do that, I think, just like I said on Sunday's podcast, it is important to really contextualize what this coaching era and coaching tenure was. A failure in many ways. I can give you the pros of it, which, yes, the facility, even though I mentioned this on Sunday, Josh Whitman is the one doing the fundraising. Lovey may have helped, but I doubt he was the primary reason that you got donors to donate. I think Josh is really the one leading that up. Okay, and that my, I, maybe that's me not giving Lovey enough credit, but somehow I doubt that Lovey was the one making the phone calls and really hobnobbing with all the big money donors. I somehow doubt that. But I'll, I'll give that to you. I'll give you the facility. I'll give you this idea that the culture was broken and Lovey at least was not a clown show like Beckman was. I'll give you that. So that's two things. But other than that, I don't know what else I would give you for this Lovey Smith era. And I've had people on Twitter say, well, the program is in much better shape. It just is, Carp. Come on, objectively. Again, remove the facility, if that's fair or not to do so. But I'm just saying, take the facility out of it. What are you left with? This roster is disjointed. It's a mess. You had five years to build relationships, not just with Illinois high schools, but pipelines anywhere. And you didn't really do that. All you're left with is the transfer market. And that's not really sustainable. That is such a crapshoot anyhow. It was a patchwork five years. There was a plan. It failed. They threw it out. And then instead of a plan, it was basically just, eh, we'll kind of figure things out as we go. What you cannot do to build any sort of sustained success, if you're Lovey Smith or anybody. So here we are with this coaching search in a better position, yes, because of that facility. But I don't necessarily know if the roster or many other factors are that much better than what he inherited back in 2016. As I said, you were inheriting a program that had won 11 games in the last two seasons, six and then five. And I know that your bills were coming due in 2017. That 2016, you had enough veterans on that roster where you should have been better than three and nine. We knew that Lovey would have a rebuild underway rather quickly. But that rebuild started immediately because they suck so bad in year one. And then midway through that, after they were sitting there with, what, two wins in the season before they got their third against Michigan State, then he makes the decision to start playing all these young guys and building it from scratch. But again, there was no plan. Or I should say, if there was, it was shoddily assembled and very poorly executed. Thrown out, drawn up again. Just Patrick, it's like, might as well have been writing it on a cocktail napkin. Here's what I'm going to do for year three. Eh, scratch that. Uh, year four, okay, now I'll do the transfer market thing. Okay, great. That kind of got me a little something. Screw high school recruiting. I'm just going to do the transfer thing. And that's what would have happened if this thing kept going. You fortunately signed, I think, every one of your 14 commits. Kudos to them for honoring the commitment. Clearly, they committed to the school more than they did the coach. But it is still the second to worst recruiting class in the Big Ten. So you were salvaging some guys that may help you out, some guys that might even be a factor early in their careers. But at the end of the day, this is the kind of recruiting class that Lovey or anyone else could not sustain, or I should say, could not turn into a sustained winner. You know, who was worse than you actually was Purdue. That not shocks me, but you're starting to wonder if the shine is coming off the Jeff Brom era. Regardless, the Levy Smith era, almost 20 minutes in this podcast, probably in belaboring the point, it is what it is, okay? I think it is true when I say you can't do worse, and those might be my famous last words. Oh, one more point. Forgive me for this. Robert from Illini, he had a column, I think written on Sunday or Monday, about Lovey called Couldn't Care Less. And his main hypothesis in this, or thesis statement, I should say, was that it wasn't so much a case of Lovey being lazy. It was a case of him not really caring what other people thought about him. And that at the college football level, you need to care about that. I agree with that premise. That is very true. That when it comes to recruiting and hobnobbing with donors or with local high school coaches in the state, 
that you need to do a little bit of kiss ass. And Lovey was never going to do that. And that should have been a yellow flag from the outset. Maybe a red flag if I really thought about how he was with the Bears, the pride with which he carries himself, and a lot of that deserved for all the accomplishments that he had in his career. But when you get to the college level, yes, you do have to kiss people's butts. You need to be a brown noser. You need to schmooze a little bit. That was not going to be a part of his plan. I thought he could overcome that with Hardy Nickerson and Garrick McGee. Oh my God, how wrong I was. But to Robert's point, he also tried to emphasize that I don't think it was laziness. Robert, I think it was both. I really do. Especially later as time went on with Lovey, when that initial plan didn't work, I think laziness crept in if it wasn't there to begin with. College football is a whole different beast than pro football. I'm sure the NFL coaches spend 50, 60 hours a week during game week, right? During the season. But college football, that is a year-round gig. And he was not going to commit to that. And Jeremy has often made a point, and I think it stands more true than ever, that if you're lovey and you've already accomplished all this, this is merely just the postscript. This is the epilogue in your career. And it might have worked, it might have not. But for lovey, it was really no skin off his back. Either way. I'm sure that his pride as a competitor, that is damaged. And he wanted to win. As a competitor, he wanted to win. But was he willing to go the lengths that other coaches were? And the answer clearly is no. (laughs) We know that now. He was not. And these stories, unfortunately, are probably going to continue to come out. And it's not piling on. It's not beating a dead horse. At the end of the day, you got got Illini football or Illini athletic department or Josh Whitman. You got got, right? And we're all kind of culpable in this. We all looked at this with starry eyes. Oh my God, Lovey Smith is here. I recalled on Sunday's podcast how excited I was when he came into the studio and the presence that he had and thinking, holy crap, this is our coach. And then the first few Illini walks in 2016, if you recall the North Carolina game, the lots were packed. Everyone was just jacked for that game. And the Illini walk was electric. Lovey Smith leading the way. So we were all starstruck. We were all kind of in this game, right? Where we thought, oh, we're famous now. We've made it. You know, we've arrived. We got got. And you can say that he grifted us. That might be a bit strong, but I don't know. I don't know. I think as time went on and you saw the appointment of Miles Smith as linebacking coach and he just kept collecting those checks. I know that's a very cynical way to view it, but I don't think it's entirely unfair. And I think we can turn the page after 22 minutes of this podcast. Maybe I should right now because we got bigger fish to fry. But at this point, everyone, it is what it is. It was a terrible five years. And fortunately, we get to move on and try it again. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that this next guy is going to be successful. But as we sit here midweek and we are waiting for any official word or any substantial rumor about who the next coach will be, at least the names leave you feeling like, okay, we will definitely be in the hands of someone that can win at the college football level. So let's go through these guys. Let's start with the pie in the sky candidate. Let's start with that. Luke Fickle. Now that is a name that I know some people will just sort of poo poo right off the top and think, well, he's not going to come here. And I get it. I understand it. He is in a position where he can wait for whatever his dream job may be. Now, Ohio State is in all likelihood not going to open up. Is he going to go to Michigan? As an Ohio guy, I somehow doubt that. And by the way, Michigan is an interesting opening because when you look back at the post-Lloyd Carr era, you have Rich Rodriguez, Brady Hoke, and Jim Harbaugh. And my thought was, if Jim Harbaugh doesn't work up there, who will? There might be something more broken up there than just the coaching hires. Anyway, when it comes to Luke Fickle, you'd have to pay him a lot of money, I know. I will say that this is not... I don't know how substantial this is, but my source... I have a source. Can you believe it? There is a a bit of smoke behind the idea that Josh met with Luke Fickle. This was from someone that I know and know well and trust and that they know someone who they know and trust. So you know that. It's like a game of telephone. But I can say the 200 level, we're going to throw a rumor out there. Okay? I think this happened. Whitman and Fickle talked. Okay? I know that. Nothing more than that. And, or I should say, I know that that's what my friend says he knows. Okay. So that is the 200 level rumor. Now, how much momentum there could be behind that or the likelihood of Luke Fickle deciding to coach Illinois. I understand why that is a steep mountain to climb and it is going to take a hell of a sales job because outside of, yes, the facility is terrific. 
And you do have an opportunity in the Big Ten West to assert yourselves. When you look at Iowa, you kind of know what they are consistently. Northwestern, same thing. Wisconsin is the biggest one, the biggest dragon to slay. But other than that, you have an opportunity in the Big Ten West. So there are sales pitches that Josh could make. And you know that he would probably be good in a one-on-one situation talking in a room to Luke Fickle. If there's a chance, Josh Whitman at least gives you one of those by virtue of just meeting with them and saying, here is why I believe in this football program. I don't know if it works. I don't count on it. But I don't think we should immediately dismiss it. And part of that is, and this is apples and oranges, but look back to the surprise hire of Lovey Smith. Lovey still had to be sold to take this job. And think of the mess that he inherited after the scandal with Beckman, and then you had one year of Qubit. He got re-signed, and then you fired him. So really, perception-wise, you were in worse shape back in 2016 when Lovey came in, perception-wise for sure. And hey, Josh had to sell him on it. Could Josh use those skills to sell Fickle? That'd be great. That is the home run hire. There's no doubt. And it's crazy to think for the guy that came in here with Ohio State back in 2011, striped the stadium. Remember that? I think Ohio State threw the ball, what, three or four times in the entire game. Luke Fickle, I think, went seven and six that year with that Ohio State team. And I remember thinking, well, wait a second. How is this guy going to become a great head coach? He had all this talent. But you know what? That might prove, actually. And this might actually go against my initial Nathan Shieldhouse argument from Sunday, that it just wasn't his time yet. It wasn't. And I think as time has went on and he learned more, he stayed on the Ohio State staff when Urban Meyer got there, and then he got his chance, and he is just killing it at Cincinnati. So it is worth the shot. I think that there has been a conversation from what I can gather from my source. <laughs> thing about sources, like I would tell you who they are, And I see this person quite a bit and they're an old family friend, but I believe it. I can believe it because I think that it would take the rumor part out of it, right? And take what my, my source knows, take that all out of it. And at the end of the day, it would behoove Josh to have a conversation and really for Luke Fickle, why not? Why not sit down and have a conversation with a Big Ten school? We can say, well, he didn't accept this job or that job. He didn't consider Michigan State. Remember where Michigan State was last year? I know that they are probably still in a better shape roster-wise than what Lovey's going to leave you with. But when you consider Mark D'Antonio and the way that that ended and all the weird kind of smoke there, why did D'Antonio leave in the first place? You had these allegations of sexual assault and then Michigan State as a whole, the Larry Nasser thing. I'm just saying there's enough yellow flags up there for that entire athletic program that maybe that contributed as well. Plus, Luke Fickle knew that he would be facing Ohio State and Penn State and I guess Michigan, even though they kind of stink now, but that that would have been a steeper mountain to climb trying to take over Ohio State in that division. That's probably not going to happen, but you know what? In the Big Ten West, he could do it, and he could play Ohio State every year in the Big Ten title game. Just saying, you know, crazy, but not unheard of. Let's move on, though, to more realistic options, because if Luke Fickle, the home run guy, in fact, is not interested, and I would understand why, It does seem like three names are sort of being circled around here, and I get why all of them have been brought up and are probably going to be there till the end when we find out who Josh hired. First one, Brett Bielema. I had to do some reading up and also YouTube searches for Brett Bielema press conferences. Now, here's why I did the latter. I wanted to see if this notion of him being an abrasive personality, and that seems to be the narrative going around with him. He's an abrasive, not very friendly guy. Went on to YouTube, doing some press conferences and Arkansas days, Wisconsin days. Didn't really gather that. I remember when he was at Wisconsin, he didn't seem to me to have the presence of a really polished coach. I remember just like any Wisconsin coach, Paul Christ included, I look up at, at that program and think, how the hell are they doing this? And I remember also thinking that Brett Bielema was probably doing it on the backs of Barry Alvarez. But keep this in mind with Bielema. He was there seven years. He won a couple Big Ten titles. Barry Alvarez, by the way, did not win a Big Ten title in his last six years. He did have eight and nine win seasons. But if you look at it, he was consistently losing two or three games in the Big Ten. He was kind of like a really good Minnesota, really good Glenn Mason, right? Where Glenn Mason would win the three non-conference games, win three or four in the conference, and then he'd find his way to a seven-win year, maybe the occasional eight-win year. Now, Wisconsin was a notch above that, but it felt like, it felt like Brett Bielema actually elevated them a bit. 
That is maybe more perception than reality. And yes, it was already a good program. It had a great foundation for him to take over. He didn't have to build it from scratch. So I understand the leeriness in saying, all right, here's the keys, Brett. You got to build this thing from the ground up when it didn't go so well at Arkansas. At Arkansas, he took over for a program that had Bobby Petrino. That was cruising along until he left. Well, actually, no, wait, let me take that back. Bobby Petrino, did he go there after the Louisville scandal? I, I can't remember 100%. I think he did. It was Louisville and then Arkansas for Petrino. Then Petrino got in the motorcycle accident. That was it. Got in the motorcycle accident with his mistress or something. Then I think it was John Smith. Remember John Smith from Michigan State? Ron Zook went up there and beat him in 2006. And then he took over for that. So it's not like Arkansas was in a great position anyways. He had a couple seven-win seasons. And then he got fired after four and eight years. One of the YouTube clips that I did see was his final press conference. He was fired on his way off the field and then had to take the podium and was nothing but gracious. And maybe he was shell-shocked. I'm sure he would have been. But it was still like, wait a second. This doesn't seem like that abrasive of a guy. I know those are anecdotal, small sample sizes. I'm just saying that if the narrative is, oh, he's kind of a jerk and this or that, I don't know how much that holds water. Another thing that is a mark against him in the eyes of a lot of Illini fans is this idea that he's not a very ethical coach, right? That he might play a little dirty. And then there were rumors of him in a co-ed back at Wisconsin. But let's start with the more ethical. And, and by the way, I don't know if any of that's substantiated, right? Certainly not any major publication. So are we going to keep someone from getting a job because of rumors about a transgression 10 years ago without actual proof of it? I don't know. That seems... Like, uh, I think Josh will do his due diligence here, but keep in mind that Josh hired Brad Underwood and it wasn't long after that the Lamont Evans, his assistant coach, that all came out paying players. That was his assistant coach at Oklahoma state. So we can't sit here and pretend that Brad Underwood is, you know, Bruce Weber levels of clean. Cause we simply don't know that. We don't know that for a fact. I'm just saying a lot fans, we cannot sit on a high horse, ethically, morally. At the end of the day, if they're winning, we're going to turn a blind eye to that stuff. And I'm not saying go out there, Brett Bielema, and play, pay everyone a bunch of money to come play for your program. I don't know if he had to do that for Wisconsin. For some reason, I kind of doubt it. I'm just saying that you know those things are not deal breakers for me. And I don't think you're looking at Brett Bielema as like a Bobby Petrino type character that had transgression after transgression and is just kind of widely known as a jerk. I don't think that's the case with Bielema. And I don't think it's naive of me to say that either. So if you were thinking, who was the obvious choice? I think it's Bielema. The guy was successful for seven years in the Big Ten, even after Alvarez's guys were gone. Successful. He knows how to run a successful Big Ten program. Building it, that might be a different thing. But at least there's a template that he knows works in the Big Ten West. And can you recruit to the level of Wisconsin? Yes, of course you can. Can Brett Bielema match what Paul Chris is doing recruiting-wise? You bet your ass he could if he surrounds himself with a good staff. So then the question becomes, can he build it up to a level of winning consistently? This is a guy that grew up in Iowa, I believe. Huge Iowa fan, played for Iowa, I think, right? His two Big Ten programs that he has experience with are Iowa and Wisconsin. And how often do we circle back around to this idea of, well, who do you want to be, Illinois? What template do you want to follow? And more often than not, I hear Iowa, Wisconsin. When Mark D'Antonio was doing his thing, I know that myself and a few others would point at Michigan State and say, well, do that. Why can't you do that? But Iowa, Wisconsin, that is attainable. Of course, it takes time. But that's the school he comes from, is the Hayden Fry, Kirk Ferentz, Barry Alvarez tree. That's his experience, and that is something that I think we could use at a program that has had no consistency whatsoever. The final knock against him that I'm seeing on Twitter, on the message boards, people that are like, I want no piece of him, is this idea that he wouldn't take the job that seriously, maybe, or he wouldn't put all of his skin in the game. He is only 50 years old. Now, I'm sure he has enough money where he could retire the rest of his career, kind of like Lovey, but this is not necessarily the final chapter of his coaching saga. And for any regret that he may have from leaving Wisconsin prematurely, which he did, 
He did, despite whatever grievances he may have had with Barry Alvarez. I think that might play well. I think that there is something for him to prove. And the one thing that he needs to prove is that he can build his own program and win. And I think he would want to do that in the Big Ten. This might be a perfect storm where you have this very viable candidate out there that has been out of the college football game for two years. But in the Big Ten, at least, you know that his system can work. So I am going to, for what little this is worth, I'm going to throw my stamp of approval behind the Brett Bielema rumors. I am going full bore with that because there is no more proven Power 5 commodity out there. So Brett Bielema, I'd be excited. Yes, I would. Talk me out of it. I know people did on Monday when I mentioned Nathan Shieldhouse. Man, did Twitter light up. And there were some that were like, you're right, Carp. Real quick about the Nathan Shieldhouse thing. My whole mindset with that is, well, nothing else has worked, so F it. Give it a shot. That is not something that Josh Whitman can probably do. Not that he would lose his job if this next hire doesn't work out, but if it's a disaster or if Nathan just is not ready for it. I mentioned the Luke Fickle comparison. In 2011, Luke Fickle was not equipped to be a head coach. He was still learning. Nathan is still learning. I would love it in its own kind of goofy off-the-wall way, but I understand why. That is pie in the sky. So yes, Bielema, that's my number one choice. I've been reflecting on this. And usually it is a daily sort of back and forth thing, but for the last couple days, that has been the name I've settled on. If he wants the job, I don't think you can not give it to him. I know it's a double negative. I think he got to. I think you got to give him the three and a half million a year, let him get a good staff. He'll recruit the hell out of it. And I'm taking my chances with the guy that won a few Big Ten titles up at Wisconsin and won consistently. That leaves two other names, both of whom I'd be happy with. And the first one be Lance Leipold. He has turned Buffalo into a very good Mac school. And you hear Mac, and of course we freak out a little bit, or we're leery, I should say, of another venture down the Mac rabbit hole. Now, in the case of Leipold, I think what you're looking at is a guy that is widely considered this coaching genius. I will say his personality is not one that's going to immediately fire up the fan base, but at the end of the day, wins are what fires up the fan base. Remember the excitement of Lovey Smith? Well, that quickly faded when the game started. So Lance Leipold could be the, the lamest personality ever, but it doesn't matter if he knows how to field a competitive football team and starts winning games. And I think that recruiting aside, and of course that would be a concern, even though he has a lot of connections to the Midwest, I think that he would know exactly what he's doing. You would have a steady hand at the helm. And of course he wouldn't bring whatever baggage you think Bielema has, right? Whatever baggage is either perceived or real with Bielema, that does not exist with Leipold. He's squeaky clean. He won national titles at the D3 level. Then he went to Buffalo. He kind of proved it on a larger stage. And then now this is the biggest one of all, jumping to the Big Ten. I think he would immediately make you a better program. And that alone is what's exciting about this crop of coaches, that there's no one I look at as truly a huge risk. Lance Leipold, can he get you to Big Ten championship level? This is the difference between him and Brett Bielema, I think, is the Bielema thing excites me because I don't think he's going to be a colossal failure for one, but I also think that his ceiling is higher than Lance Leipold or Munkin, who we'll get to in a bit. But with Lance Leipold, there is a, a safe option feel about him. He's the safe one. And there's a reason that his name gets bandied about left and right in all these coaching circles and all these di different college football writers, why Buffalo is getting the attention they deserve. It is one of those things where it is the time that he's going to leave that job for greener pastures. He's going to go to the big leagues probably this offseason. Now, if it's not Illinois, I don't know where else that would be, but it does seem like a lot of things point in that direction. You know that Josh Whitman kept talking about integrity, integrity this, integrity that. And if that is something he is really focused on, you're going to get that with Leipold. I went down the YouTube rabbit hole with him too. Nice guy. Really nice guy. Not one that made me go, yeah, you know, run through a brick wall. Not that, not that Bielema does that either, so I want to caution that. It's not like Bielema is the super charismatic guy, though he was more charismatic than I remember. But winning the press conference, I don't know if that's going to happen with Leipold. I think that what you would have to do in the case of Whitman and the case of Leipold is just really 
sell the accolades so far and really kind of convinced the fan base that unlike the lovey thing where it was pie in the sky, oh my God, we can do this, we can do that, that this is more about we are building a functional football program. We are going to be the best coach team every Saturday. Even if we don't win, our guys will know what they're doing. They will be fundamentally sound. They won't shoot themselves in the foot. I think Leipold can do that. So that is a hire that I will be excited for as well. Maybe not as viscerally excited because there's not that power five pedigree from him, but he does have Midwest connections. A lot of the guys on his staff have Illinois connections specifically, and I think it plays. I also think, and back to Jeremy's point, that you want a guy where this is the destination. You want a P.J. Fleck who, yeah, he might jump to greener pastures, but you know he's going to work his ass off at Minnesota in order to get to that greener pasture. That is it for him, right? Landing a Big Ten gig for P.J. Fleck, that is it. For Lovey, it was merely an epilogue. For Lance Leipold, this is it. 56-year-old guy, he's paid his dues. He is not going to take any time off that he doesn't need to. He will work his butt off. So all those factors point me to thinking that, yeah, that would be a solid selection. I'd be totally cool with that. The final one is Jeff Munkin. Army coach, triple option from Joliet. So we got the Illinois connection. Of course, I went down the YouTube rabbit hole with him. He was on Dan Patrick back in August. Cool guy. He seems like the football coachy kind of coach, but not with the goofiness of a Tim Beckman, not with the foot and mouth Ron Zook-isms. And he has proven, not at a Power 5 level, but proven at Army that his teams just win, fundamentally sound. Yes, it's the triple option attack. Does that play in the Big Ten? I don't know. But I will say, if it is going to play in the Big Ten, you kind of got the guys to do it. You got quarterbacks that can run, and you got good running backs. So there would be at least a smoother transition for him to implement that offense here, even if it is tweaked. And I got to think it would be tweaked. Triple option with some spread stuff, right? Which, by the way, from what I understand, Buffalo averaging 340 yards a game rushing, insane numbers, kind of the same deal. I don't know if option is something that they do a whole lot of, but probably a lot of RPO and things like that. So the idea that Jeff Munkin, I understand the trepidation because of that triple option stuff. I'm of the mindset that, you know, again, back to effort, nothing else has worked here, so we might as well try something new. When you couple that with the fact that he is clearly a good leader of men. I know, gag me with a spoon, cliche alert, heads up. But you know that he is, right? Does it play going from Army to Illinois? Do the guys in the Illinois locker room buy that immediately? Do high school athletes in the state of Illinois buy that? I think they do. I think there was a charisma element to him. I think there was a a comfort I can take in knowing that this, just like with Leipold, this would be the destination job for him. And that as a guy from Illinois, as someone that has proven it at his level right now. He's proven it at Army, a school that is hamstrung by the fact that they can't recruit normally. I understand why there are questions as to how do you go from Army and the very unique recruiting setup that they have to recruiting at the Big Ten level. That's a great question. I think that would come down to the staff that he surrounds himself with. But I have no doubt that he would be the guy knocking on doors, or in the case of this pandemic year, going into Zoom rooms with a bunch of high school coaches in this state and establishing that relationship right away. So this is a really nice advantageous position to be in for Josh Whitman as an Illini football fan, thinking that the options that you have, the realistic options, all could work out very well. I'm not going to put you know, Big Ten championships or any other platitudes out there as expectations. I'm just merely talking about getting to a level of functionality, of respectability. And I think all three of those guys do that and could do so maybe not, you know, turbo fast, but within two, three years and actually have a little bit of success next year based on the guys you have returning on offense, especially for Leipold and Munkin and the offenses that they run. I think that there could be some immediate success there. You do see with both Munkin and Leipold, it's not like they immediately turned army and buffalo around overnight it took time that is the bitter pill to swallow in all of this knowing that whoever you hire inevitably you're going to have a couple seasons in all likelihood where you kind of stink and we've had that enough and it's going to be hard not to fall down that dark dungeon again and think oh my god this isn't going to work out either well 
It might. What do we look for? If the roster is really bad, what are we looking for on each Saturday to give us indications that this coach, this hire, is actually trending the right direction? And I will go back to Ron Zook's second year, which had a lot of frustrations in it, right? But they looked the part. They looked the part of a program that was on the verge of making a bowl game the next year. No one could have predicted Rose Bowl, right? But I know entering 2007, the expectations were there because of what we saw the year before. We saw a functional football team. Credit to Zook. The turnaround was fantastic. I think that you would see that by season two for whoever takes over the helm. You would see these little bits and pieces of, well, wait a second. We aren't shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, we're limited as a roster, but okay, I'm seeing what this coach wants to do. It's a long slog. I know that being told we need to wait until 2023 for any real success, that kind of stinks. But I will say this, whoever you hire, it will provide one thing, an immediate injection of some enthusiasm, right? When we're in the lots next August or September, we aren't going to be worrying about, oh God, another Lovey Smith year. Instead, we'll be talking about, well, what is this guy going to do and how quickly is he going to do that? And while that may fade with time, it can be kind of reignited with an unexpected win next year, or maybe a five and seven record for a team that has no business going five and seven. The great thing about any of these guys Unlike Lovey Smith's first year where you're coming off a five-win season and you're thinking, oh, we got Lovey, so we'll be better. I mean, I actually thought that, which is fanboy carp at his most meatball fan-y. But with these meager expectations, it would not take much for any of these coaches to make us think, oh, okay, we got something. And the key litmus test in all of this is going to be how in-state recruiting goes. And as John Holosek said on Juan and Derek's program yesterday, that the best Illinois teams, and this is true, even back to Zook's Sugar Bowl team, or sorry, Rose Bowl team, Turner's Sugar Bowl team, and then when Holosek was here, there were a lot of Illinois guys on that roster. There's not a whole lot of Illinois guys, at least relative to back then, on this roster. And I think that will be the earliest indication that this coach gets it. Winning Illinois recruiting battles, that alone is not going to turn this thing around, but it will be a sign that we have a coach that is actively working their ass off. And if we know that, If we know that much, I think all three of those candidates, Bielema, Leipold, Munkin, have shown enough as coaches that if the effort is there, things will turn around. How much? That, of course, is the eternal question. But enough, I think, to make this program respectable. And damn, it has been a long time since we've had that. In my life, we have not been consistently respectable. And it's a nice position to be in thinking, I think we got that guy. Now the question is, who is it going to be? Who's next? So on that note, the problem with these podcasts is that they could be rendered useless very quickly, right? I don't know if we're going to get any official word from Josh Whitman before the weekend. Maybe it's Sunday. Maybe it's Monday. I'm not sure. But I think for, in the case of Fickle, I know it's pie in the sky, but Fickle or Leipold or Munkin, I'm not sure if Army has a game this week or not, but All these guys have one more game. I think a conference title weekend coming up on Saturday. So you wouldn't probably get official word anyways, or maybe even meaningful rumors or smoke out there. So I think this may stand for a few days. We'll see. Um, A programming note, we aren't going to be here, I don't think, on Saturday. The game's at 4.30. We have the Rutgers-Illinois game on Sunday for the second half post game. We're excited for that. But the Illinois-Penn State game, I don't know how excited you guys are about it. I'm excited to watch a game and just chill back and not really care at all about the outcome. And maybe this Illinois team will surprise you. Josh Matterbebe, he's going pro, so I think he's setting this one out, understandably so. But we are not going to do a post game on Saturday. So this will probably be the last one we do until Sunday, hopefully a triumph for Illinois basketball. And then, I don't know, Sunday or Monday or next Tuesday, do we get the official word of who the next coach is? But it's exciting, right? Hope springs eternal. It always does. We've been through this coaching carousel before, though it feels like we're driving this ship a little bit more than times past. There's not a lot of job openings out there. Auburn's not looking at the same pool that you are. Arizona, not looking at the same pool that you are. So it is a nice spot for Illinois to be in. I know because of a lot of external factors. I mean, this pandemic has probably kept, let's say, a Justin Fuente for Virginia Tech, probably kept him there. 
there are concerns, I think, financially for Illinois. After they make this move, it'll be interesting to see, okay, are you still going to drop a non-revenue sport? And how is that going to look when you drop a non-revenue sport after you pay Levy's buyout? That's a whole topic for another day. Good article on Champagne Showers from Jonathan Hedinger about that. And I would encourage you to read it because as a sports fan myself, I have very much come to accept the hypocrisies in being a college sports fan and all that come with it. But it is still, I think, important to remember that priorities, you know, those are understandably in question. And in this kind of financial crunch that so many universities are finding themselves in, we had to pay Lovey freaking Smith $2 million to go away. I'm more pissed at Lovey for that than anything else. <laughs> it's like, how could you not have just made this semi-respectable Lovey? Like, if you just didn't suck so bad at your job, you would still have it. And we wouldn't have to pay the buyout. And then maybe we could be winning six or seven games a year. But you decided to essentially grift us. Ugh, final Lovey rant. Maybe. I apologize for that. But before I get too long-winded, we do have a new coach coming soon. We'll be ready for that. This was our coaching search podcast, Who's Next, on the 200 level. And I will be excited to get in the nitty-gritty about whoever the hire ultimately is. Before we go, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com. Use coupon code Mike for $5 calzones and $6 premium in construction zones. And best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. DP Doe. Dot com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, renters, business, you name it. Any insurance, they got you covered with State Farm prices and great personalized service. Brian and his staff made it so easy for Karen and I when we moved to our new place. That's brianismyguy.com. And finally, Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Get some Illini swag just in time for Christmas. You may want to hurry. Use coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order. And all year round, buy two t shirts. Get one free at fourthandkirby.com. Finally, got to thank Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. We are cruising along. We will see you unless there's a coaching hire. We'll see you Sunday. Me, Isaac, Trevor, Alani Rutgers. Huge opportunity for this Alani team to get back in the top 10. And really, I tell you what, look at that schedule. This is a nice opening 10 games in the Big Ten. If you can win at Rutgers, start dreaming big about piling up those wins early. I mean it. Take a look at that schedule. It's pretty good. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, stay warm. It's too damn cold outside. And we'll see you Sunday. It is the 200 level.